Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range EDC, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. We're going to step back from what has been a Star Wars slash Marvel slash Star Trek onslaught for the last couple of episodes and do something a little different. Instead of starships, we're talking about stars of the rock and roll kind. Instead of sound effects, we're talking the sound of loud-ass guitars and thundering drums. And instead of Spotchka, we're talking Crown Royal. That's right, we're digging into the most famous rock band to ever be christened after a World War II-era nickname for aerial phenomena, or UFOs to you uninitiated, you know, if only people had heard the pre-production comments, they would understand that completely. Be thankful you episode didn't. 105, I'll, uh, you Sorry. see, you right there. Damn! I'm leaving that in, I don't care. In this episode 105, album one-on-one, the Foo Fighters, Foo Times 2. I am your Uncle Todd, and with me, as always, is a person who can hold his breath underwater for almost eight minutes, because through a rare genetic mutation, he's able to extract the oxygen from the undigested beef that's sitting in his digestive tract. He has been my partner in Idy Suit for over two decades, and is always good for a quality T-bone. I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my friend. How are you? I'm doing all right. I think I might have forked up a tonsil in that, in that intro. <laughs> well, you you do, sir, commit to the introduction, my friend. You Ooh. you put your all into it, and sometimes, yeah, a tonsil, a vocal cord may pop here and there, but uh, you always recover. Dug a little deep on that one. I was mm-hmm. kind of shocked myself. You did. Uh, anyways, uh, I'm doing fairly well, aside from that. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We have oh, uh, yeah. two, two. Foo Fighters albums here. Uh, we'll get more into that, though. However, before we do that, the week in feels so funky. Ah, well, we are covering uh, a few different topics, uh, mostly, I'd say 75% sci-fi, 25% uh, Gruden-fi. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, first item out of the gate, you know, if, if we are, you know, always trying to make sure we, we follow up on stories that we kind of bring to bear and report on in prior episodes. And and so we, we have out of the, uh, the reputable source, uh, denofgeek.com, uh, that the uh, with with a report from uh, post Star Wars celebration that the Mandalorian season three ah Mando there was a teaser trailer that dropped at the show and was uh, reposted on the YouTube so I I believe we'll have a link to that in the show notes yes uh, indeed we will they all hate you Mando but there was uh, some some uh, correct correcting if you will Giancarlo Esposito is not a man who gets corrected often but in this case he needed to be corrected. Because because even though he thought The Mandalorian would debut uh, this summer or later in the summer, uh, we, unfortunately, folks, are going to be waiting until February of 2023 before uh, we get The Mando. Dang it. I know. Patrick, 
That's oh, it. Jeez, right out of the gate. Wow. Hey, do me a favor. Yeah, put, put, put the Chipotle down. You're not getting that in my keyboard. All right. Okay. Go I think and the keyboard the least of your problems. Go cancel that order for my replica Mando armor, and then reorder it without the without the rush shipping. I want to save that twenty bucks. All right. No, you cancel the you cancel the first order and then you place another order. No, I didn't want an order from Chipotle. I mean that the Mando armor, you do know what I'm talking about, right? Like the Mandalorian. You know what? I'll just do it later. Go back to your trip. Go back to your Sofritas, okay? Oh my gosh. This How's is why I record there? at home. This is why I record at home so much. <laughs> It's like your first time back to the office in like how many episodes and you're already ready to just go back home. Dude, it's, like a, it's like a freaking daycare without bourbon, which actually is probably, it should be most daycares, but for me, that's not, you know. Anyways, I'm sorry. You were, you were talking about us not getting Mando until February, which stinks, yes. but... Oh, yes. well, uh, but in in the trailer and, and uh, you know, through uh, the the happenings at Celebration, uh, what was revealed was, uh, you know, that the Bo-Katan uh, played by uh, show favorite Katie Sackhoff uh, will be uh, coming back as that character and having a greater presence uh, to build upon her already uh, great entry into the Star Wars universe from season two. Uh, so she will be uh, part of I, it looks like Grogu and the Mando's journey. Uh, so that'll mm-hmm. be great. And looking forward to that. Uh, there was no word on uh, what I'm still putting my money on is going to be Christopher Lloyd playing the Reverend Jim in a Mandalorian cave with no, you know, isolated from all civilization. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. He, he's going to be like some sort of like cave troll guy or something and be like, Marty. Um, but uh, I, w- I would much rather have the, you know, what? Does uh, that one of the funniest things ever in television? Oh, oh my gosh. gosh! The fact that he didn't break character and everyone else in the scene, like even the extras, are just like, "Can you believe this crap's happening?" <laughs> like I read the script too, but I wasn't expecting it to be this funny. Yes, yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, other news coming out. You know, of course, uh, Pe- uh, Amy Sedaris, who plays Pelimoto, uh, Carl Weathers, who plays Grief Carga, they- they'll be a part of it. Um, what else? Uh, just kind of th- skimming through this here. Oh, Dr. Pershing, who was played by Omid Abtaya, uh, the Imperial scientist who we saw running some tests on Grogu. He will be back. So that'll be interesting because mm. why is he back? Why do we even need to see him? He was, you know, running tests on Grogu, which is not good. So, uh, well, and then both the times, test results. Uh, what's that? Got to find out them test results. Well, that's that's true. Got got to make sure that midichlorian count is you know through the roof. Um, <laughs> I wonder if it you know what would be great if it, if it looked like a COVID test, just oh, a little geez. Easter egg. <laughs> like oh, you're midichlorian positive. I was just trying to make sure. <laughs> Jeez. I wasn't sure, even though he was throwing objects around the room. I just wanted to be sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've, I've seen way too many COVID tests over the last few weeks. If I don't have to see oh, one of those for a little gosh. while, yeah. if I can make it through, if I can make it through this month without having to take or, or view a COVID test for another person or direct someone on how to swab their nostrils, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a happy camper. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not a pleasant thing to be doing that. Uh, Not really. So, yeah, that's that's uh, some of the high points uh, of the news that came out from there. So a little bit longer wait for Mando season three. But, uh, you know, we got some good content coming our way from from Marvel. And uh, we're enjoying some great content now uh, from Kenobi. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am trying to get Uncle Todd, at least himself, to to sit down and, and get caught up. I'm usually the one behind the curve when it comes to cultural phenomena, huh? but uh, uncle Todd is yet to sit down and watch some stranger things. And we need to get him sitting down and doing that. Maybe do a couple shows about it. Um, That's but, true. I, I have been, I have neglected watching, uh, watching the stranger things. I think he'd like it. True. I think he'd like it. Well, All right. in my well, defense, enough about watching, Star Wars. In my defense, have, after having to watch Patrick around here is just a series of Stranger Things, so well, I, I've been you, a little you, loathe on that. You kind of have your own show, you know, writes itself basically um, with yeah. with Patrick there. All right. Well, leaving the realm of Star Wars, uh, actually, why don't we stay in the realm of Star Wars? We'll switch it up before we switch over to uh, to our yeah. Star Trek note. But uh, you know, just wanted to kind of drop in. We're three episodes into Kenobi. And uh, just want to get your thoughts, sir, on what you've seen so far. Uh, is it what you expected? Has it been uh, an enjoyable uh, experience? Has it been a surprising experience? Has it been a disappointing experience? What has been your 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 sense of things as you've watched these uh, last three? I think it's been I think it's been really good. I've enjoyed it. Um, it is. I mean, it's tough to say, oh, it's what I expected, because you could probably people could go through our, our real in jabroni and go, no, it isn't, um, which, you know, is fair enough. Hey, we nailed uh, it on the Leia rumors. So I just want to say, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, aside from aside from a little, you know, the little uh, the 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 utter suspension, suspension of disbelief required to to believe that nobody can catch this little like 11 year old girl who's moving approximately a half mile per day. Um, it, it, you know, aside from that, been really good. I've, I've enjoyed it. I think it's very interesting yes. how, once again, uh, the, the last Jedi, I believe, paved the way for some of the things that we have seen in the Star Wars universe that, you know, kind of moodier things. Because quite honestly, seeing Obi-Wan's attitude is almost copying mm -hmm. some of Luke's attitude yeah. from The Last Jedi, uh, which, again, to me, totally makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense for both characters in both scenarios. Just everything has absolutely gone to crap. Mm -hmm. But yet, you know, people just want these characters to be like, well, no, they ought to be, you know, ever hopeful. It's like. No, you know, I mean, the whole thing has come crashing down around them. And it makes sense for for Obi-Wan to really, especially in episode three, like be totally off his game fighting Vader because right. he is just I mean, at, and at one point just out and out running away. <laughs> like, right. Doing the absolute opposite of the heroic thing and just turning tail like, ah! and just, <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was. I don't want to say it was great, but it was like, it was such a human thing. And it was mm -hmm. such a, it, it worked for the character. Cause he is so like, obviously just did not think that Anakin would still be around. But of course, like, well, just like Thanos said, you should have gone for the head. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But wow. Um, I think it's been good. How about yourself, sir? 
Uh, so yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think what was interesting to me, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I thought someone was going to come pounding down the stairs to get some seltzer. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, instead of a wine cellar, you have like a seltzer cellar. Basically, basically, um, yeah, a couple flats I'll take worth. A nice 1983 uh, Perrier, please. A little vintage uh, polar. Uh... Hey. Hi. Are you on your thing? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> are you doing that stupid podcast thing, Dad? <laughs> yeah, when here, are you going to yeah, grow here, up and get a real get job? job. <laughs> I just got home. All right. Well, what are you guys talking about? We're talking about Kenobi. What do you think? Everyone Don't worry, dies. you're not interrupting whatsoever. You're Just not take your time. At all. Take your time. I am? Or am? Talking to? I'm talking to you, goof. <laughs> What's that? No. Sorry, one moment. Uh huh. This is when you started talking to me. Well, what'd you think of Kenobi? Oh, he's giving me a thumbs up. What? I know. It's good stuff, though, right? Yes. Oh, there we go. Uh, a, a firm a thumbs emphatic, up from part of the junior division. That's right. An emphatic yes from Jackson, our two-time winner of Real and Jabroni Junior Division. All right. Where were we? So my thoughts on Kenobi. Um, yes. I, I, I really enjoyed the fact that they are playing up. Uh, like you said, Last Jedi kind of opened the door for this. I, I like that they're showing the cost of the loss in in revenge of the sith mm, you know what i mean yeah. like like not a cost in the sense of you know like i'm not trying to be morbid and say bodies or whatever but there there is there is a consequence to what happened you know and and this is not like you know when we saw obi-wan kenobi in episode four we 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 look at Alec Guinness's portrayal as you know the the wise wizard who has control of his powers and and is doing you know he's older but he's he he's wise knows what to do and and has all of his his Jedi proudness about him and yeah he's space you know, Gandalf uh, space Gandalf but but here we we see a very very different uh, Kenobi than than we've seen before and 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 I, that was mm-hmm. very refreshing to see. Um, as I think I traded text with you on this. I and I, I know I chatted with some coworkers as well who are Star Wars fans. Um, really surprised by the revelation that Kenobi didn't know Anakin was still alive because I had assumed that most people knew that Anakin was Vader, um, Vader in name, not Vader in a suit, but Vader in name. Um, now I'm replaying all of it in my head and I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's a lot of stuff that happened in revenge of the Sith. So really, yeah. How does Obi-Wan even know? Like he just knows him as Anakin. Yeah. He doesn't know well, he's would... Lord Vader. Yeah. All that um, was behind the scenes sort of stuff. That was, right. I was a little confused by that. Why you would think that. Well, be, because of the fact that he had clearly turned to the dark side. And when you think about what the Alleghenis version of Kenobi says to Luke in episode four, you just got the sense that he just kind of came to an understanding of who Vader was. Um, well, yeah. And we're, we're now finding out how that happened, but well, I mean, it, it's not like his, it's not like his name really got publicized or anything. I mean, it sure it wasn't even like until after he got the suit 
that he was called Lord Vader, right? Right, but by, you don't walk Palpatine. out of Revenge of the Sith saying, "Oh, Obi Wan has no idea Anakin's still alive." You know what I mean? Like, like it's it's a passive thing that you don't really think about. True, true. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. So, so that's why it kind of caught me off guard because I kind of expected him in ten years to kind of, to have come to that realization or knowledge of, oh, Anakin survived and he's Vader. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting um, way to play it. I, I really enjoy the, uh, the the portrayal of Leia. I think the the actress, uh, I don't know her name, uh, is killing it because it is mm. – it is it is such a, a fantastic way of trying to bottle up what Carrie Fisher did in in the size of, of of a little girl, you know what I mean, and and have her portray it in in that way, and and see that even if at, at a young age, you know she she was very uh, rambunctious and motivated. Let's let's say, um, yeah. But the big thing was this last episode, episode three, because we're recording this before four has dropped, and. Man, I, I texted Uncle Todd last night. I said, man, we really miss the boat in real jabroni not having something about Vader being portrayed as Michael Myers because, <laughs> man alive, did they do a phenomenal job. I mean, this is Vader in his prime. And yeah. the way he walks through that village and he's just torturing people, dragging them along with him, the way he takes Kenobi and just plays with him, Seeing, you know, coming to that understanding, like, like, and I read an article about this and it was a very astute observation, the way they portrayed it, where he's ready for a sword fight, like last time. And he sees Kenobi run away and he's like, and, and, and the article saying like, he comes, it's almost like he's kind of coming to the understanding, like in the same way, Kenobi's understanding that he's alive. Vader's coming to the understanding that, man, he's lost a lot of steps from the last time I saw him. And now I'm going to have mm. some fun with this guy. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and it was. It was very much a you you pegged it like a horror story, uh, you know, horror movie kind of thing with with a like a Jason Michael Myers style, mm -hmm. um, you know, silent killer that they aren't moving very fast. How no. do they keep catching up with them? You know, yeah. that sort of thing. And and but I you, and I loved I loved the point of view they did from Obi Wan's viewpoint when he had the lightsaber. Uh, going, yes. looking out into the dark. Yes. Yeah. And how that much was that was inhibiting cool. his ability to see anything. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm like, Hey, why don't you just go, I'm over here. Yes. You know, like you've got a giant glow stick that you're essentially just waving around I'm and, it's, and, it's, ground. <laughs> and it's, it's blinding you like great idea. At least if he got up on one of those little dunes, then it would make sense. Cause then he goes, I have the high ground. That's right. Again. That's right. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. Uh, by so, the way, so uh, Vivian, uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, Lyra Blair ah. is, uh, is uh, little Leia. She's killing it. Killing it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, done. I didn't, I, yeah, I, overall I'm, I'm very pleased with, how the how the whole show is going um i i don't know if i could be too much more enthused i can't be that much more excited for uh episode four which so we're recording this on monday comes out on wednesday which is kind of mm. weird i didn't realize miss marvel also drops on wednesday episode one. Oh, that's right i forgot about that uh -huh. which i was like how is the plus doing that? Like, why wouldn't you have like Marvel Friday and like Star yeah. Wars Wednesday and like separate those out? But you know what? I I don't own a billion dollar company. So apparently mm -hmm. they know something I don't, which is 
obviously probably easy to do. Indeed. Um, yeah, but no, overall, very happy. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, there was one more thing I wanted to bring up. Um, oh, what was the other thing? Oh, I, I mean, real quick, I, I love that we got to see Alderaan. Um, love that we mm. got to see that, uh, in, in the star Wars, the old Republic game I play, uh, the, uh, like the Alderaan planet setting is just one of the most beautiful that they've done in, in the game. I mean, just really brought it to life. Um, love seeing it live action and, and, you know, them kind of, you know, actually giving Alderaan more than just, Hey, it's a place that blew up. <laughs> You know, yeah, like, like actually getting to see the beauty of it and, 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 you know, see, uh, you know, good old Jimmy Smith's, uh, as Bail Organa calling the shots and, and taking care of business. Um, but yeah, yeah. Overall, very, very strong outing. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say though? Shoot. Um, but yeah, lo- love the fact. Oh, I, I remember now. Like, I, I love that they're also taking Obi Wan in kind of a direction of of the the you know kind of uh, the the traditional wrestling baby face. You know what I mean? Like, he is down on his luck. He he can't fight worth a darn. And and now he's he's gonna be. Uh, you know, I think we're gonna work up to an episode six where where he finds his mojo and gets back to it. So, um, yeah, at least he for needs- one more throwdown. He needs to get a get a hot tag from uh, get a hot tag to Qui Gon and, and have him come in, <laughs> which is the other interesting thing. Every episode, he's like calling out to him. Yeah, it, well, they're again, it's they're they're doing it very. It's it's very deliberate, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm digging about this. Like it, it's it's yeah. like, hey, this is a limited series. This is gonna this is going to fill out a certain period of time, a pivotal point for Obi Wan, and. Yeah, it obviously I mean he's off his game. Like why yeah. would he be able to just summon, you know, a, the force ghost of his master or maybe there's a reason why he ain't coming. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's very interesting. Good stuff. All right. Now we will depart from the Star Wars universe and zip over into the Star Trek universe for a a quick note about uh the final uh surprising to me I probably am behind the times on this one, but didn't realize that this, this third season of Picard is going to be the final one. It's going to be a big one. It's going to have the whole cast of the next generation, ladies and gentlemen, and, uh, and is going to have, uh, we are promised a villain, uh, worthy of the story and, and worthy of, of the man Picard. So, uh, we supposedly will have something that is not a Borg, uh, and is something different. Um, but we will, we will find out soon enough as uncle Todd has informed me that season three was filmed back to back with season two. So mm. we should see that soon. But, uh, are, are you, sir, at all excited for that third season? The nostalgia tour, if you will, of the next generation crew. All right. So do you remember when, <laughs> Here we when, go. Rogue, when Rogue <laughs> Squadron got announced? And, yes. and Patty Jenkins was doing it, and the, there was that teaser trailer of her rollerblading and all that. Yeah. And and we were we were both pretty psyched about this because we were oh, yeah. both very high on Wonder Woman, and and of course it 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 didn't take it wasn't a very high bar to clear, but it was by far the best DC movie that had been made, easily, easily. Mm-hmm. Um. And then seeing like, oh, she's going to do a Star Wars movie. This is going to be great. She did such a great job with Wonder Woman. It's going to be, oh, this is going to be right. Blah, blah. And then Wonder Woman 84 came along. My enthusiasm cooled dramatically 
about what Rogue Squadron is going to be mm-hmm. um, because uh, let's face it, uh, Patty Jenkins was holding most of the cards for Wonder Woman 84 and got a chance to kind of pick and choose what she was going to do because I, I mean, uh, one, Warner Brothers doesn't seem to have a very tight leash on on their productions anyways. Um, and especially someone who just made them a kajillion dollars, they seem to be like, all right, just go make us more. And uh, I'm, let's just say I'm less enthused about Rogue Squadron. And especially now that it's like Taika Waititi got like a Star Wars movie a month ago and it's going to come out before Rogue Squadron, which has been in development now for what, a year and a half. And yep. and Taika's like, I'm already done, you know, sweet. Uh, great. That's that's great news because that's always ends well. Um, I feel similarly about Picard season three. Um, I was very excited for season two after season one because I was like, hey, that was actually a really cool story and, and I'm, I'm digging this. After season two, oh boy, I'm not all that uber confident about season three because if they shot this back to back with season two, how much of that team is a carryover? So how much of the style of season two is going to inherently be the style of season three. Because mm. if that's the case, oh, I don't know, man. I really don't know. I mean, yeah, it'll be cool to have the the band back together and maybe that'll make it cooler, but I was just not pleased with really any part of Picard season two. I, I, the more I've, I've thought about it, there, I just was not happy with really any of it. I really I like the ending with Q. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, okay, so very if emotional. We're gonna go, very emotional. If we're going to go into moments, yes, there was a handful of moments, but moments can't cancel out just not great cohesive storytelling. Just not. Like, you know what? Rise of Skywalker had moments. Did those moments equal a great movie? Yes. I ask you. <laughs> You're asking a person who who likes that movie. But would you say it's a great movie? Like, would you put it up against Empire Strikes Back? Oh, come on. Seriously. I mean, if you're talking great Star Wars movies, what are you what are you picking from? You're going with uh, at least two out of three of the OG trilogy. I'm going to say yes. In my case. Yes. You would put that up there. Because it didn't repeat the formula. So you're going to go up there, put that up there with A New Hope, uh, Rogue One and um and Empire. You would you would then say that this that Rise of Skywalker deserves to be in the conversation oh, for Rise the of Skywalker. No, I thought you were talking Last Jedi. Sorry. No, Rise of Skywalker. Oh, Rise of Skywalker. Never mind. Episode sorry, nine. I, oh, I, I was th- I sorry. I'm thinking about Last Jedi still, so that that's on you, me. Sorry. Okay. So there, there, there we go. Now we can button I that agree. up. But that's how I feel. How do you feel about this? Are you because you're you're you you're the much sunnier, more optimistic of a, of the two of us. So you must at least be feeling a little bit better about this. Um, yeah. I mean, oh. I, I. Oh boy. I, no, well, no, <laughs> no. But, well, okay. Hold on a second. I I really thought you were going to take that ball and run with it, and you're just sort of like, well, I'm doing it out of a sense of trying to support you in your position because as we discussed in our prior episode or a couple episodes ago you know there were some shortcomings no doubt there were some shortcomings to how that season was executed however 
I have rewatched several times the the two parts in the in in that last episode with Q and Picard, and 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 I come away from that like, but but they just nailed the thing they needed to nail. You know what I mean? Like I I get the rest of it didn't make sense, and I guess or not didn't make sense, but just there were elements of it that didn't feel consistent. All the stuff we talked about before, but man, when it came to that final you know time with Q and finally seeing that human moment between the two of them and, and then Picard, you know, after all those years of being, you know, persecuted by this being, you know, to have the humanity to kind of see him off in in a very human way. I'm like, they nailed that. And that was the, that was the important part. I mean, I know there was all the other stuff that happened afterwards with the Borg and everything, but I don't know. I feel like if they're bringing the band back together, I have, and optimism about the way that they're going to do that. And it isn't going to be time travel because they just did it. They're saying it's a new villain, so not the Borg. So I have some hope that this is going to be something that is truly going to be a solid send-off for a, a, uh, an, a, a just a iconic character of this, uh, of this franchise. Okay, well... That's me. Here's hoping that you're more right than I am. I mean, honestly, it's, it's not like I, I'm rooting for it to crash know, and burn. I know. But I just, I, I don't have my but hopes I, at all up. I I don't have a hat on, but I will tip my cap to you, sir, because you're right. There were some things that did not go well with that. Well, thank you. I I do appreciate that. Well, you know, I figure I need to at least give you a little, little tip of the cap every now and then. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. And our last one, uh, I'm just going to turn this over to Uncle Todd. So he, he sent me this YouTube link this morning. I did not have time to, to watch it uh, to understand what it is, but it is intriguing for it proclaims that John Gruden may be the downfall of Roger Goodell. Sir, please help us understand what, what the Gruden has uh, in store for us. Oh, football swami that you are. So... Again, just to kind of reiterate, I, I am I am a lapsed NFL fan. I have not followed the NFL seriously for for several years now. Uh, however, hearing Roger, the downfall of Roger Goodell, quite honestly, makes me giddier than I have any right to be. Like, I'm ready to dance a jig. I don't even know how to dance a jig, but you know what? I'm going to damn well give it a try um, because... Yeah. If there's ever someone that I'm just, I, I am rooting, actively rooting for them to lose their job, it's Roger Goodell. One, because I think he's terrible. Two, it's not like it's going to really hurt him that much. He's made enough money. He's he's going to be fine, okay? So it's not like I'm rooting for, you know, some person who's like barely above poverty level to lose their job. Like, Roger's going to be just fine, which still sticks in my craw, but whatever. I'm just a mean-spirited person. So this comes courtesy of Brandon Perna at That's That's Good Sports uh, YouTube channel. And basically the whole premise is that John Gruden's lawsuit against the NFL basically saying, like, um, why, you know, my emails were leaked in this whole investigation uh, of, of Daniel Snyder and only my emails were released, uh, happened to be leaked. Oh, no obviously means someone's you're out to get me or to make me look bad or whatever so the interesting thing is here is you have this investigation of daniel snyder and some bad stuff that he did and then you have um john gruden and the bad stuff that he said in his emails 
Brandon Perna basically has this whole whole idea of this could actually be enough that the owners finally are like, we've had enough of Roger, because uh, he's he's managing to to try and silence stuff. And I guess the House Oversight Committee mm. has is wants him to come in and testify, which is kind of a big deal. And the idea that so originally Gruden had filed a suit against the Raiders for wrongful dismissal, which was then settled. And now Gruden's lawyers are the same lawyers who represent Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders. Seems a little cozy when you think about it that the guys that you just sued, you then have their lawyers represent you against the NFL. Yes, suspect. The idea idea being that Gruden said, hey, I'm going to sue you. We'll settle this. I'll get my money. And then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to sue the NFL. The funny part about this is... Mm-hmm. Mark Davis, he of the worst haircut in all of professional sports. Oh my dear sweet God, can somebody get this man to his supercuts? Because even the, as the crappy haircuts you get at supercuts would be an order of magnitude better than whatever. Oh, and Larry he's... from the Three Stooges have a better haircut than this guy. Well, actually, it's like it's like if you took a mo and then you crossed it with a mullet and then just I don't know, like. Let a muskrat pee on it. I don't know what it is. It's just <laughs> good. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. And this guy is oh worth millions of dollars. It's like, dude, a haircut ain't that expensive. Anyways, so the funny thing is, Mark Davis, obviously the son of Al Davis, previous owner of the NFL, uh, uh, the of the Raiders, and a guy who is constantly suing the NFL and like constantly in legal entanglement with the with the league. The fact that his son could end up being the downfall of an NFL commissioner. <laughs> Uncle Todd is is somewhat amused by this, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah, Lord. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. Oh, you know what? And it's probably not going to happen. Like. The idea being that they're probably not going to fire him. However, apparently his uh, Goodell's contract comes up in 2024. And with kind of the bad press and the idea that it looks like there was a really shoddy investigation of, you know, again, like anytime anyone's like, hey, we investigate ourselves and we came up clean. She, what are the odds? You know, um, mm-hmm. the, the fact that it looks like there's been cover up and that he was bad enough to make to to have that exposed might be enough for the owners to be like, yeah, we're moving on. We're not going to pay you 40 million dollars a year to be commissioner and 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 make us look bad. Yeah. You know yeah. that it might finally be enough for them to go next. So that to me is just endlessly hilarious. I am actively rooting for this, even though I know it probably won't happen. Oh, it'd be great, though. It would be great. And somewhere Al Davis, well, let's face it, he's probably not looking down. He's probably looking up, but he'll still be there in his in his track suit. And he's just going to be, ah, the greatness of the Raiders. You know, and flipping Goodell the double bird, stone cold salute. Oh, is it lovely. Just a love. And it gave a little spring to my step. Your situation concurrently... <laughs> Exactly. Oh my gosh! Like, uh, you know what? Roger needs to get him Chucky to help him defend himself. That's that's who he needs. Yes, that's his suspects. only hope. <laughs> the 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 law firm of Chucky, Chucky, and 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 Murph. That's there what, we go. That's there we need. go. 
Absolutely. I, what were the other what were the other guys in the uh Goodwill hunting crew? I, I don't remember. remember. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do mm. not remember their their, Morgan, their names. Morgan Morgan was one of them. I think mm-hmm. that was Casey Affleck. I can't remember the other guy because he might as well, he, I think he had like one line the entire movie. Yeah. 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 Anyways, but it's great. It's great. I'm just rooting for that. Well, and with that chef's kiss to the uh, commissioner of the NFL, that, my friends, is the Weekend Geek. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you, sir, for once again combing the interwebs and coming up with these little uh, little bits of information that we can kind of riff on. Now it's time to get to the main event mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, so normally when we do an album one-on-one, the, the idea being that each of us suggests an album for the other to listen to. And and this one came about, of course, after the, the death of Foo Fighters uh, drummer Taylor Hawkins. Um, and both of us kind of realizing that I don't know about you. I'm, I'm not what you could call a, 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 an extreme Foo Fighters fan. You know, I'm not like a dyed in the wool Foo fan. I'm aware of them. Mm -hmm. I've, I've enjoyed everything I've listened to, but for what, for whatever reason, I never really got into the band on a, on a level of like making sure I had all the albums and all that stuff. Uh, Now, is that your case? Have you been a a Foo fan for a while now, or is this a passing acquaintance kind of thing? Uh, It it has been, I mean, it's, it's ebbed and flowed. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the Nirvana sound in the nineties. When, when Dave Grohl started the band and the Foo Fighters first came out, I was uh, definitely into the sound uh, and, and, you know, you know, collected, I think the first couple of CDs they had, um, you know, but then, you know, life happens and, and, and you get into adulting and it's like, you know, you, you, you kind of fall away from it. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's been a little bit of up and down, you know, I mean, I'm, I would not call myself a diehard fan. Um, I, I unfortunately, um, in the camp of those who uh, did not get to see uh, the band uh, prior to Taylor's passing. And, um, but ironically, um, my oldest son uh, did go to Lollapalooza here in Chicago last year uh, and they were the headline act. And so he got to see them on the Sunday. He went on a, on the last day and he got to see them. So I I thought that was really cool that he, he got to experience that at least and uh, see them in action. Um, Mm. So, uh, but that, that, that is a regret of mine. I, I got to see Rush at least twice before they, they stopped touring. And then of course, before Neil Peart passed away, but, uh, uh, but unfortunately didn't, did not get to see the Foo Fighters live, uh, ever. And so, yeah, I, I, I really can't call myself a diehard fan. Definitely appreciate their music. Definitely enjoy their sound. Yeah. And, and that is, I would have to say that is a regret of mine. The more I've, uh, the more I've dove into their, their catalog, and just also watched videos online and just realized like, oh man, like I totally missed out on like one of the great live bands of my oh, yeah. time. And and it I'm I'm really kicking myself on that because mm-hmm. you know, I think and I think one of the things that the reason why to me, and I and 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 Foo Fighters probably are one of the great bands of my lifetime. And, and, and in kind of a sneaky way, because even though they've, they've sold millions of albums, they've millions of tickets, all of that, the fact is, like, they're also, they're like one, okay, um, they're, like an, they're like one of those actors that can star in huge action movies, but can also do roles where you totally get 
by them as a as a smaller character and they can seem both larger than life and incredibly personal and you know because if you listen to their music there's so many elements of like you could almost buy them as like your local you know local celebrity band you know what i mean like there's there's everyone has those regional bands that like they never quite make it but they're really big and they have a fan base on kind of a regional level and you could totally buy them as that um, yeah. and because yeah. their, their songs can kind of, you could listen to them, you could hear them on a smaller scale. You're like, I could totally picture seeing this band in a, in a 200 seat club, just like rocking out and walking out, like with your ears ringing because everything is just so loud, but it, it scales upward to, to stadiums and works and it would work in both, both areas, you know? And I think that's what the, some of the greatness of that band is. And it's, I think it comes a lot from, you know, just Dave Grohl and his personality and who he is and who he has been as a, as a musician. I mean, it's a guy who grew up loving, you know, a lot of those seventies, you know, big rock bands, but also has like some serious punk credentials, Mm -hmm. you know, and grunge credentials. So he, he's got both ends of that and it, it all comes out in the music and it, it feels like it really is reflected in the band overall. Yes. And, and just to jump in real quick, he is a, and as was Taylor Hawkins, huge, huge, uh, Rush fans. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, Rush is one of those bands that it's like everybody kind of knows about them and Mm. especially like, especially musicians, like especially musicians, because there's, you can just sit there and drool over the musicianship and and the vocal. This this was a band though that, that, you know, for, for me is one that we, uh, you know, that that we kind of got to see start, you know, from the very beginning and, and see them grow over the 20, 30 plus years they've been together. Um, that's been fun to watch, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like to, to, you know, I never got to see Rush start cause I wasn't even born when they started, um, yeah. you know, to, to see this band be born out of a tragedy, you know, with, with, uh, Kurt Cobain's passing and, and to see the way that Dave Grohl kind of, you know, continued on and did and, and formed this band and continued to make great music was you know a testament to him as a musician and as a person but also to a testament to to the band as a whole in terms of their ability to consistently put out really solid music i mean they 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 just you know you know not every song is a winner um but but show me the band that that can do that you know what i mean but but there at least there's a consistency like every like i started the beginning of the year walking through their discography and it you know, every record had its really, you know, defining moments in it, you know? And so, and, and so every record is consistently good, but you know, is it a pop hit every single time? No, but there's, and and we'll get into it with these two albums that we chose. There's a lot of, you know, like diamonds kind of hiding in in the sand almost, you know, that, that you don't hear on the radio, but that are, just really well done songs and really well done music overall. So, so it's been fun being able to see them from the very beginning kind of grow into that. And like I said, and as you've said, you know, it's, it's certainly a regret, you know, that I didn't really get to see them do it live. Yeah. And I, and right now, as of recording this, I believe there, there really hasn't been any, you know, judgment as far as like what's going to happen with a band. If I've, unless I've missed something. No, I've, I've heard anything either. 
I mean, and I would say it's like, it's almost like a Zeppelin sort of thing in my, in my mind, but I could be totally wrong. You know, that's because you never know, because I don't know. I, I could see Dave Grohl saying, I don't, I, this was like my best friend. He was part of the, it was like the heart and soul of the band. We can't continue. It would just wouldn't be the same band. But I also, Dave Grohl is sort of like, you know, a lot of, a lot of musicians where, you know, sort of like, like what Lemmy Kilminster said, where he's like, I'm not qualified to do anything else. You know, Keith Richards, almost the exact same words. Like I've been doing this so long. There is nothing else that I am qualified to do except this. Mm -hmm. What else is Dave Grohl going to do with his life? You know, give it like a year and a half and his wife is going to be like, dude, you got to go start another band or go play open mics or something because you're driving me nuts <laughs> being around the house. You're making everyone miserable. Yeah. You got to get yeah. out on tour or do something. Um, so I don't know what the, I mean, there might still be a chance to see the Foo Fighters live. You know, we're not there's been no word about the band being, you know, done forever, but it definitely won't be the same for sure because right. Taylor exactly. Hawkins was such a huge part of that band. So, uh, the album that I suggested to the man they call Tim, uh, was wasting light. And the one that he suggested to me was one by one. So why did you suggest that I listen to one by one, sir? Uh, as I was going through and in, in doing my, my listen of the discography, you know, I wanted to do something that was off the, you know, beaten path of the beginning of the band. I wanted to do something that, um, reflected the, quality and, and goodness of them, uh, in terms of, you know, you know, like the musicianship and just the hard rock edge that they would bring. And, and, you know, just really the, they kind of had all around what reflects, you know, who the Foo Fighters are. Uh, and so, um, listening to this one, I, I, I just really enjoy, um, all the songs on it. Um, there was, especially at the end, we'll, we'll get into it later on, but there was a song I heard at the end that kind of reminded me a little bit of the bare naked ladies band, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but, uh, but overall, no, it's, a, it's just a really strong album and, um, and thought it was, you know, a reflection of where they were now that they were kind of maturing, uh, as a band. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I thought it would be a good one to go with had, and had a couple good pop songs on it from, uh, from back in 2002 and uh yeah so that that was that was my reasonings how about you sir with wasting light uh this was completely based on the the recording process and not the the recording itself which sounds a little weird but anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while knows that I'm a big fan of kind of behind the scenes the making of stuff and and to me sometimes that's almost more interesting than the the end product itself is the process that went into it. So I saw the documentary uh, back and forth, or I at least saw a couple chunks. I can't even remember anymore because I watched another <laughs> Foo Fighters documentary. So I'm not sure what I'm what I'm confusing with what. Uh, but back and forth was a documentary talking about the making of Wasting Light. And essentially, it seems like the Foo Fighters have have some serious issues going into recording because uh, the one by one was recorded and then they completely wiped the slate clean and then started over again after spending like weeks and, and, and hundreds of thousands of dollars on the recording process. And they're like, nah, screw it. Let's start over. Um, wasting light was again, they kind of started to record and then abandoned, uh, the studio and then ended up doing everything at Dave Grohl's home in California 
and essentially like setting up his home as a recording studio with all analog equipment because they didn't want to do anything digital. So they, they brought in all this analog equipment. They also brought in uh, Butch Vig, uh, the, the uh, producer for Nirvana's Nevermind, amongst many other albums. Also guitarist for the band Garbage and just a huge uh, name in, in rock and roll um, to be the producer. And... <laughs> I mean, it was just, it's just cool to watch, you know, that process and watching a band that is, you know, has sold millions of records and has done this and done and done that. And then recording, like tracking Taylor Hawkins in a garage, like not a, like, Mm -hmm. oh, this garage was like, if you watch any of a, like Robert Rodriguez's like making of, you know, behind the scenes stuff, like his garage, and I'm using air quotes is like this fully renovated four car garage that's in a, you know, completely soundproof studio and all that stuff. Like it's, it's gorgeous. It's better than any house I've ever lived in and probably ever will live in. I, I would just love to live in, in, in Robert Rodriguez's garage. Um, this is like a legit garage. Like he, he pulled his truck out <laughs> and they put up some, some soundproof, like soundproofing on the walls and a, and a rug down, like put your kit there like sweet like you can almost you can almost picture like just off camera there's a coiled up garden hose a couple you know a couple shovels <laughs> it's great i just love that whole idea of the fact that they they built this recording studio at his house and just did it and did it old school um so that was why i kind of suggested that i thought it was just a nice it was an interesting process very nice so what were your uh what are your I mean, I, we've kind of already talked a little bit about overall thoughts. I mean, do you have any overall thoughts on Wasting Light, or do you want to dive into our favorites here? Uh, I'll just give a couple. I, I mean, before we get into overall thoughts, just real quick, the lineup, um, really, uh, yes. uh, the only difference is the the lack of Pat Smear uh, for One by One, but it's Dave Grohl, lead vocals, guitar, lead guitar, uh, Pat Smear, rhythm guitar, uh, lead guitar, baritone guitar, uh, Nate Mendel, bass guitar. Taylor Hawkins drums uh, backing vocals and percussion on one by one I believe he is lead vocals on one of the songs Life of Illusion and then Chris uh, Shiflett uh, lead guitar backing vocals uh, tenor guitar rhythm guitar does it all Uh, and on one by one he does the lead vocals on a song called Danny Says so uh, Mm -hmm. some special mentions uh, Chris uh, Novoselic from uh, Nirvana Uh, he plays uh, bass and accordion on Wasting Light and then plays guitar on one by one Uh, and then Brian May of Queen uh, fame uh, plays guitar on uh, the song Tired of You on one by one so yes uh, indeed but both of these albums that we selected, sir, Grammy award winning for best rock album. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, all my life uh, for one by one was best hard rock performance, uh, white limo, which I was really surprised by. Cause I thought there was some stronger contenders on wasting light uh, than white limo, but that one best hard rock metal performance. And then walk, uh, which is kind of the pop song that came off wasting light. Uh, that is best rock performance. So, so very, uh, uh, you know, highly acclaimed and uh, and well deserved, uh, you know, awards for both of these uh, these albums uh, from this from this band. Yes, indeed, lots of hardware uh, accumulated by the Foos. They got the gold. Yep. So, what do you? What were your th- overall thoughts for Wasting Light? So, um, overall, um, I I really I really enjoyed the energy of it. Uh, I I 
really thought it was a a strong outing for the band. There's a, a quite a few songs on it um, that I enjoyed. Uh, really, you know, to the point of of struggling with, um, you know, what to really, you know, kind of nail down as my favorite, or or even as you know, I actually had a couple surprises on it, you know, because of of just how good it is. Um, but no, just just a solid outing from the band. Um, I'll, I'll get into specifics with, with some of the songs, but, uh, but yeah, overall, just, just high energy, um, fun, um, just a lot of, sorry, I'm trying to look at my notes, but I can't, uh, can't read whichever legal pad under the other legal pad that you have the legal pad under the paper, because like when I try to hold it up, it's like the, the light from the monitor, uh, is, is just like drowning it out. I can't read what I wrote. You so, need to work I mean, on your setup, sir. I do need to work on my setup. All right. So, um, what else? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I said everything I need to say. So, um, all right. Just, just, I, I think you, you selected a great album, uh, that reflects the quality of the band and, and is, you know, I, you know, as, as someone who's walked through the whole discography, I mean, that, that is kind of the common thread through a lot of it is just the energy they bring. And, and this, this album really, really exudes that. And, and, uh, and, you know, as we, as we'll get into, there's, uh, you know, there's some, some light and I don't want to say light, but some, um, deep and, you know, kind of lighter tone songs as well that I think really, you know, show a depth in, in the songwriting as well. So I, I really appreciated, uh, your selection of, uh, this album. Nice. And you, sir, with one by one. Well, first of all, uh, I'd, I'd like to thank you, sir, for picking an album that is almost double the length of the album that I picked for you. That was, I was was wondering when you were going to touch on that. Sweet good Moses. I, 47 minutes, 52 seconds is wasting light in its entirety. The one by one collector's super expansive edition that uh, that Tim gave me is an hour and 18 minutes. That's right. That's right. Made him work for it. Yeah. And you know what? We'll talk about those uh, those extra songs at the end, because <laughs> the funny part is if you take like just the regular version, like the, the initial release version, it has the exact same number of songs as Wasting Light. Oh, does it? If yeah. You, if you draw that line there. Um, and we'll talk about the extra stuff that's on there uh, later on. Um, I, it's not a happy album, I don't believe. It's no. uh, There's a lot of kind of angst on this. Um, yeah. This was the fourth uh, Foo Fighters album and was, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, the first album where uh, Chris Shiflett was, uh, was uh, recording with the band. I can't think. I think he joined the band live earlier, mm-hmm. and this was his first time actually recording with the band. And uh, and this was also the first time that that uh, Dave Grohl didn't also play drums or just wholesale replace all the drum tracks, which was uh, a problem with <laughs> the previous drummer. Um, and Taylor Hawkins was anointed uh, as the the drummer uh, proper. So very some nice. interesting stuff going on there, but yeah, not a very happy album, not a real uplifting sort of thing, but, um, you know, the, I, I know that the kind of the intent and part of the reason why they went back and re-recorded, uh, was I, if I'm remembering correctly to try and get a little bit more of like the live sound, uh, and the energy from a, a performance, because there's always a, there's a, there's a, 
it's just different. It's different recording in a studio mm-hmm. than it is uh, than playing live, especially with the way a lot of modern music is recorded. Um, and, and I don't know how much people know about this or, or just know how a lot of modern recording takes place and is, is you're, you're putting everything onto a grid. Everything is like timed out. Everything is, is very, very much, uh, manicured, if you will, and, and fixed and polished. And, you know, it's not really like, Hey, let's just go into the, go into the studio and cut a couple tracks in a night, you know, the way like James Brown would do. And, you know, or, or the way rock and roll kind of started where it's like, everyone's just playing in the room and you, what you get is what you get. Yeah. Tape is expensive, you know? Um, so, you know, I can see where that would be a frustration, especially, you know, with, with the, the, the energy intensity that the foos uh, had live, I can see where that would be, you know, something they're shooting for, but it's, it's gotta be really tough trying to replicate that in the way that modern albums are recorded. Yeah. And I can see that being kind of frustrating. Um, but yeah, and not a whole lot of overall thoughts. Like it, it's a solid album and you know, I've got favorites. I've got some that I will, uh, I've got least favorites. Uh, but I've also got kind of this weird category of like, eh, they're not, uh, what did I call it? Um, not convinced, but not opposed like songs that I'm very kind of ambivalent about, mm-hmm. but there's, there's a little kind of thing that's sort of like, and there's something there that I can a knit for me to pick at. Um, but I mean, overall, a solid album, uh, no doubt, uh, with the exception yeah. of the extra songs. Like, uh, honestly, uh, there's only one of those extra songs that I would actually ever listen to if I were, you know, if I were to, to own the album on a, on a CD or, or vinyl, I would just pick the needle up after, you know, walking a line. And most of the time, I wouldn't even get through that album, get through that. I would, I would pick it up right where the album originally ended. Um, but I mean, if you do that, number one, it's, I think it's punchier and the extra stuff is just kind of extra stuff that I don't, I don't need really at all. Um, and didn't really do anything for me. Like I felt like it might as well have just been like, all of a sudden now I was, I, I, I actually had to check when I was listening to it to make sure that the album hadn't ended. And then it just started like Apple music didn't start playing like, Hey, well, if you listen to that, here's this, you know, cause I was like, well, is this still the album? This does not sound like anything I would, you know, that would be on the album. But anyway, uh, good. The, the original release version of this album is good. Um, unfortunately the extra stuff to me just feels extremely bloated and unnecessary. What about for all the cows? That was the B and L song. I thought, you know, that you would enjoy. Meh. I mean, come on. I honestly, I'm, I'm trying to put it in context, like maybe off by itself. I mean, honestly, I can't even remember it now. And I listened to, oh, I, I listened to this album recently mm-hmm. and I, I don't even recall it. Like I, in, in context of what I want from a Foo Fighters album, nah, not, not what I want, not what I'm looking for. Even the right. live version of Monkey Wrench, I'm like, ah, cool, but not not anything that's so mind-blowing that oh my gosh i have to listen to this version well no but it's just it's fun it's it's derivative uh or it sounds like something that that bare naked ladies would do i thought you would find it you know fun that way i mean it is very serious about this well no it's just as listening to it as a foo fighters album it doesn't really fit doesn't really fit well not that it's bad it just doesn't really fit and i and therefore it was less enjoyable for me like i if I'm going to listen to a rock album, I want a rock album. If I'm going to listen to a Bare Naked Ladies album, 
then that's what I'm going to listen to, you know? All right. It's, it was just a, it was very much of a, a, a very odd gear shift once you hit that point, like, you know, it, to me, and it wasn't, wasn't what I was looking for. But anywho, uh, so let's go through our, some favorites here. What was your favorite song from Wasting Light, Sir? Uh, well, I, I actually had a couple that I wrote down as, as being a favorite. Um, yeah, you know, I, there's... I, I didn't settle on one either. There, Glad to hear you say that. Yeah, there, there, there was a number that, um, you know, I just felt were were really good, um, and 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 it, and it was definitely hard. I mean, you know, I I almost feel like it's a tie between you know, like Walk, which is the ironically the last song on the album, um, and and yet yeah, turned into probably one of their bigger pop hits. Um, you know, re- really is a a fun and and you know hopeful and and you know, happy kind of song. Um, you know, I thought was, I thought was really well done, you know, and of course I'm, I'm, I'm listening to some of these songs, you know, and, and thinking about the context of, you know, the passing of, of Taylor Hawkins and, and, you know, and, and just, you know, some of the, you know, the, the words in these songs, both actually both in walk and in, uh, these days, which is the other one that I felt was really, a favorite of mine, um, mm. you know, really kind of haunting in a way, um, because it, it deals with, with life and death and, 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 you know, just, uh, those, those themes. And so I, I, I came away really struggling, uh, to decide which one, you know, walk is, is a strong contender because of, of the pop nature of it. And I mean, it's a good rock song, but, um, but it has just a great energy and just a a hopeful and happy tone to it. And then you have these days, which is, you know, this, this, you know, great, great energy and message to it, you know, um, and, and just a well done song. So I, I'm kind of, I'm almost like tied on, on both of them, um, because they're, they're just so good. Um, but th- those, those were basically my favorites was, was these days, um, and walk and, you know, admittedly, probably a little biased by the fact that, you know, when you think about the passing of one of the band members and you, you hear a song like that, that deals with those themes that it, it just kind of resonates and, and, and kind of, you know, you just kind of think about it. I mean, I, you know, it goes back about a month and a half, but I texted uncle Todd at one point, uh, as I was listening to that song and I'm like, man, uh, was, was, was Grohl not realizing what was ahead for the band when he wrote that song? Um, because, mm-hmm. uh, and that song being these days, um, just because it, it was just very apropos and, and probably very prescient to, to what they're going through now. And so, um, so yeah, so those, uh, I don't have one, but I have two. So I'll, I'll go with walk in these days as a tie for my most favorite. Well, I will outdo you. I've got three. Ah, nice. <laughs> I'm I'm so I'm so bad at this game. I'm not, I'm not good at this. Uh, so for me, the three I went with are all my life, times like these, and Halo. And ah, interesting. I had three marked down too. Comeback was my third. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was a, that was another good one. And actually, so and what, my note uh, next to that one is with comeback is it sounds it actually qualifies as a wrestler's entrance song. I I feel. Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, that is that is the original release's closer, and I can't imagine that Dave Grohl, being the guy that he is, doesn't think about album order in some fashion like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, not that I'm like Dave Grohl because I'm, <laughs> I'm far less successful. But uh, but when I when my band recorded an album many 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 years ago now, you know I I thought of it as an LP even though it was going to be on CD and digital. And I was like, okay, so here you got to have a good opener and you got to have a good closer. And right about here is where I think the the side break would be. So want to have a good song here, but then also want to have a strong song to start off side two. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of how I thought about it. Like I envisioned it being a, a, you know, a two-sided vinyl, uh, you know, LP. And when you think about it, like comeback would be a, is a great closer for the album to like, just drive it home. Um, and the reason why I picked all my life is because it's, it's a freaking great opener for an album. Oh Yeah. I mean, just wonderful. I mean, just the way it builds tension until it then explodes into that main riff. And then by the time they get to the end, I mean, it's just fireworks, just pure fireworks at the end and just drives, you know, all the way through. It's a great opening track. Like, that'd be a great song to open a show with. I don't know if they ever used it as an opener, but I mean, I could see that working. You know, like all of a sudden when the when the when the full band comes in, like, you know, just like dark, you know, with a with an opening guitar. And then all of a sudden everyone comes in is like bah! all lights all come up and yeah. crowd roars and stuff. I can picture that um, times like these. I just love the guitar lick at the beginning and also just the tone of the guitar. Like it's, yeah. it's very distinctive. Uh, and I just really like that. I think it's hilarious that it's it's weird time signatures because the first thing I thought is like, yep. Yeah, and this is what happens when drummers write music. Mm -hmm. You get you get. Uh, so what is it? It's Rush Van, seven, man. Rush Van. Yeah. So it, it starts out in <laughs> seven four. Uh, it's it, bars of three rather than bars of four. Like the groups, the groupings are in 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 three bars rather than four bars, which mm -hmm. is a little bit unusual. Um, and then the song starts in eight, four for bar, four bars, switches to seven, eight for four, for eight bars and the six bars of eight, four again. Uh, and then you get to eight. I mean, it's just, it's so bizarre, but again, mm -hmm. yeah, a drummer. And then also a drummer who is a rush fan writing the music. Of course, you're going to get stuff like that. Um, but again, just a, a really good song, just a really good song. Yeah. Um, and halo is kind of, uh, I almost put it as my, um, kind of surprise, um, but I'll, I'll get to that one later. Uh, but I just, to me, I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for the halftime chorus, like it just adding that extra oomph. And I, I buy that every time, man, I'm such yeah. a sucker for that. I fall for it every single time, you know, it's, it's just, it, I can't help it. I can't help it. I hear that and I'm like, Oh Yes. Um, and also, I mean, one thing I've noticed in just listening to, to, to Foo Fighters for a while, cause, uh, my, my familiarity with Foo Fighters really comes from the, uh, the Apple essential playlist that I mm. just downloaded. And I, I, I've, I've been listening to that for workouts, like on rotation, at least once, maybe sometimes twice a week when I'm, when I'm at the gym and man, so many of their songs have tasty bass parts. Oh man. Yeah. Like stuff that i'm like ooh, that's kind of groovy for a rock song like right on i kind of i like that you know um so the bass part in halo i think is it's just really tasteful nice you know as a bass player i'm like oh i bet i couldn't play that um, nice so nice. if i had to pick three those are those are my three very nice 
So uh, let's get into a uh, least favorite song or songs, depending on your preference. Uh, actually, it was just one. Uh, the song Back and Forth on Wasting Light um, has kind of an 80s guitar beginning. Um, does have, you know, It has a fun energy to it. But I just felt like there was nothing outstanding about it. It was a fun song, but it was kind of pretty average compared to everything else. And, uh, mm. and so I just, I, I really didn't, really didn't get into it. Um, really wasn't of interest. Um, and yeah, so I, I would just say that would be my, my least favorite. How about yeah. you, sir? Well, it's like Steven Tyler said, uh, when that, what was it? I think it was the documentary about the making of pump just to show my age. Cause I was like a thousand years ago back when you were roaming, roaming the, the countryside. But uh, when he talked about it, he's like, you know, you write all these songs and, you know, some of them, you know, they're like your kids and some of them go on to be doctors and lawyers and some wind up being bums, you know, <laughs> it's like, that's a good description. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, so for me, I, I had these two categories. Uh, so I'll go with um, I'll do my not convinced, but not opposed either. This is kind of my ambivalent section. And there's two of them. Um, so tired of you. I appreciate its moodiness. I can appreciate the lyrics. I appreciate kind of the simplicity of the song. It is absolutely infuriating to me that you have access to guitar legend and astrophysicist Brian May. Because we have to pair those together because, mm-hmm. damn it, the man has a degree in astrophysics and is also one of the like <laughs> iconic guitar players of all time. What the hell have I done with my life, ladies and gentlemen? I ask you. I ask you. And actually, doing a podunk m- podcast. <laughs> most of my friends and family are asking the same question. Like, seriously, no. What have you done with your life? I don't know. Um, but you've got Brian May, and you give him six notes. Like that's it. I mean, granted, you know it's Brian May instantly because he's one of those guitar players that nobody sounds like him. Like you. Mm. You can hear, you can hear like one note and you're like, oh, Brian May has to be like, even if if someone's trying to emulate him, they, they're never going to pull it off because it comes from that guy, that guitar and what he does, period. Um, But that's all like, to me, it's lame. Like that Mm. part is just kind of lame because I'm like, I want more. I want, I, I, you got Brian May, like, give me something besides that. Like, I don't know. Frustrating. Um, granted, I don't know how, where that came in, in the recording process and all that stuff. Uh, you know, there's a great story about, um, the main band rustic overtones when they were recording their, their album Viva Nueva. And they were recording in the studio in the same building where David Bowie was recording and their producer played a bunch of stuff for Bowie and he liked it. And he's like, Hey, is there anything I can do? And they're like, uh, like the songs are already written. So they've, they like managed to cobble out a couple of parts for him, but it's like not major stuff. Yeah. Cause it's like crap. If we knew that David Bowie would be here, we would have been like, just, can you sing this song? Like just do everything and, and just look like David Bowie. And that'd be great. Um, so I don't know when Brian entered the picture, but still it's a little frustrating. Uh, walking a line. I, I like the energy of song. But it, it's a little frustrating for me because it feels like it would have been better had the presidents of the United States of America recorded it because it feels like that type of song. And it feels like mm. the, the presidents would have had their tongue more firmly planted in cheek and just taken it over the top. And it could have been like a, a peaches or a lump 
level kind of power pop rock kind of song with a sense of humor, but it just doesn't quite get there. You know what I mean? Cause it's just, you're nobody is those guys. So nobody you, is those guys. You don't really seem to like it when they venture off from what they normally do. It's not that like I don't it get me wrong. That. I like, Cause, I cause like for all no, the cows, no, because, for all the cows no. you, you don't care for, even though if, if anyone were to listen to it, they would see the connection to BNL. And I thought you would appreciate it. You didn't. Yep. Yeah. Uh, walking a line. I hundred percent hear you with the president of the United States. I I hundred percent agree with you, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I just find it interesting that as you're kind of nailing, I I mean, tired of you does not fall into that category, but it is interesting when they venture off a bit from what they normally do that, that you have the reaction you do. That's interesting. Well, the thing is, and I'll, I'll get into the other stuff uh, a bit more. It's not so much, I, I like the song, like, honestly, if I if I had to pick one of those songs that was not on the the initial release, mm. Walking a Line would have totally been the been the one to pick. It hands down, it is by far the best of those extra songs. And that's including the live version of Monkey Wrench. Like I like the song. It's just to me, it's like ah, I want that extra it's like it's it's like an eight or a no, it's more it's more like a seven out of ten. Had the presidents done it with just the way they do things, it could have been a nine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I hear it. I'm like, Oh, what could have been not a bad song, not a bad song. It's just, it, it just happened to be recorded by the wrong band. You know, it's sort of like, uh, when, 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 uh, the wallflowers recorded one headlight iconic nineties song, you know, and nothing wrong with the, with the wallflowers version, but then they had the misfortune of playing it on stage with Bruce Springsteen. And you realized crap it's a bruce springsteen song like had he recorded it 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 automatically levels up a little bit you know what i mean like and it's this weird thing where that can happen like somebody writes a song and it's like it really should have been (laughs) this person almost like with a little help from my friends when the beatles recorded it fine and dandy joe cocker records it oh my gosh now we are at warp factor 10 as opposed to you know three is just the way music works. Um, and it's just, it's, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It's just, it, it could have been, it could have been a little better. All right. Um, but again, those are just, those are like minor nits. Those are minor nits. Those are again, like I'm not opposed to those songs. I like the songs actually, but man, it's, there's these little things. I'm like, Oh, if only, um, least favorite is everything on the album after walking a line, just because when, ah. and when I, when I, it's not that I'm opposed to them doing anything different, but it, when you have a band that then accumulates a catalog over what to almost two decades at this point, right? Yes. You, you get to a certain point where, okay, this is your wheelhouse. This is your sweet spot. And here's some stuff that you kind of reach for. And then there's stuff where you're like, it just doesn't fit because you have so much material that fits into this main area. Cause there's very few bands that, that go kind of that route of just kind of being here, there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of bands have been able to be successful doing that. Most bands have like 75% of our songs are all kind of this, or if you're ACDC, 99.8% of all our songs sound exactly like this. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Cause they rock. Yeah. So 
And then when you get those outliers, like some of them are close enough where you're like, okay, that's kind of cool. But then some of them are so far off. You're like, oh, there's just so much evidence showing like, this is who you are. Maybe this should have been a side project. You know, that's where it comes in for me. It's, it, 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 it's, it's stuff that is not as strong as the album, like not even close. And, and even Dave Grohl in his book, he says like in recording, uh, the greatest hit stuff and putting that together, which it was the album before, um, wasting light. When he talks about recording the song, you have to record the new song. That's neither great nor a hit. And yeah. that was wheels. And quite honestly, that is one of my favorite Foo Fighters songs, which is kind of funny to me that, that he was very dismissive of that song. Like, eh, it's neither great nor a hit. I'm like, actually, yeah. I really, I really like that song, <laughs> but you know, that's just me. I mean, if you'll indulge me for a moment, here are the notes I wrote on those songs that that you kind of lump in there. So Sister Europe, okay? Um, uh-huh. I felt it was, uh, you know, great mood. Uh, the tone sounds like Radiohead. All right, it was was what I wrote down. Danny says, Lo- I, I really enjoyed the mood and feel of the song. It sounds like a Beatles or a Lemonhead song. So all, like, mm-hmm. I feel like the constant thread with all these, these add-ons at, at the end of this album is they all feel like just sort of some kind of experiment or a creative or even derivative kind of work that they're doing based on another band because yeah, they, they yeah, all totally. have that sort of sound that goes with it. Um, Life of Illusion, mm-hmm. uh, that had a Beatles feel to it. Um, we've we've already talked about For All the Cows. That felt like a Bare Naked Ladies song, you know, kind of coupled with like a Nirvana chorus. You know, the verse is very you know, happy go lucky and very kind of goofy, like what B and L would do. And then you get to the chorus and it's just like a thrashing, like Nirvana chorus, you know, sort of thing. Uh, and then you had monkey wrench live, which, which, which was, you know, phenomenal. So, um, so it, like I said, it, it's just interesting that I feel like those got kind of tacked on at the end because they almost felt experimental in a way. Well, totally. And it's why, you know, when you watch, you know, a DVD with the DVD extras, the, and oh, here's the, the deleted scenes. Well, sometimes because a scene happens to, to really, you know, jibe with you and you're like, oh, I wish that had been in there. But quite honestly, most of the times you see the deleted scenes, there's a reason why they got deleted. They're not as strong. They're just not, they were experiments, maybe off in a different direction to try something. And they, and it, it made it far enough in the, in the process that they were like, okay, Let's shoot it and see what happens, which is already like so many iterations. Uh, there's so many knives that have already like cut into this script to get to that point that if it makes it that far, like it was still either it was a an idea that people believed in or it was someone's binky and they, they had enough clout to make sure that it got put on film. Mm-hmm. And it's in the same way here. Like I can respect the fact that it's experimenting. However, not being... And and if I'm a diehard like, um, ner- uh, not Nirvana fan, a uh, Foo's fan, like much more than I am, I'm probably real. I'm I'm more than cool with listening to those because to me now they're artifacts. Me, I'm just looking mm-hmm. at this as an album. Yeah, and to me, it's bloated with that stuff. I don't want it because I'm not that deep into the fandom. And to me, it just it 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 detracts from what was a a very solid album overall until you hit that point, and it's like, oh, here we are. 
it's not that it's wrong or bad. It's just like it don't fit. And I, I can totally see why those did not make it. All right. They don't make the cut. All right. So what was the biggest surprise on Wasting Light for you, sir? Uh, well, you kind of touched on this uh, a little bit ago when you were talking about your favorites and just the ordering and structure of the albums because um, – and, and it was interesting hearing you talk about it because the the first song on One by One was All My Life. And, and you know, you were talking about how it was a great opener, energy, all that. Um, I had very similar thoughts about Bridge uh, bridge Burning, uh, which is the first mm-hmm. song on Wasting Light. Um, starts out sounding very much like a Disturbed song. Um, and then it just launches into this great, like, just uh, I, I don't know what to call it. Just just fantastic drum dynamic, um, and then just launches right into Grohl's you know vocals and just energy of the band with with you know everything the guitars, bass, and drum, just you know full force coming at you. Um, I, I just just really enjoy it as an opener. I mean, it, it is just it, like every time I listen to that song in the car, it just kind of amps me up. Um, and, and so, uh, so for, for biggest surprise, like just as an opener, it was just so strong. Um, you know, maybe qualifies a little bit as, as, as a favorite, but, but I, I put it as a surprise just because I, I just, for an opener, um, I could totally see it as an opener for a concert. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, one other song I, I, I listed down as a surprise as well was um was dear rosemary um has a very beatles Mm. feel to it um very funky rhythm in the verse but i i just like top to bottom i just really enjoyed the song it was different it was you know it was their style but it was you know their it was almost like taking kind of that that beatles you know, theme or, or texture and just kind of twisting it into their own. And, uh, yeah. and, and I, I really like that. So, so those are just a couple surprises that, that came off of, uh, off of this album for me. Nice. And you, sir, what were some surprises for you? Well, I only have one shockingly. Um, and it was lonely as you. And I, I really, the, acu- the kind of very sparse, intro kind of caught me off guard and it really grabs your attention because again uh, you know foos are not shy (laughs) about just playing really big and loud uh so to start off a song like that kind of pulls you out of um passive listening that you can get caught in if you're not really diligent in um in the listening process. It's very easy to kind of just wander and to let it wash over you uh, as opposed to really actively listening. Cause it takes, a, it takes energy. Yeah. Um, and something like that is just like, Whoa, Hey, wait a minute. This is different. Um, and then, but when the song kicks in proper to me, it was like, Oh, this is kind of cool because it feels like there was almost, if you think about uh, a song as like engine parts, you know, it's like, it's like they found some of these parts from an old Nirvana songs and like recording sessions and like just parts and stuff that were like shoved under an old couch or something. And they, you know, like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And they kind of gave them a bath, shined them up. And then they threw them in. Cause there's, there's, there's some of that Nirvana DNA, but man, it's way shinier, like way shine. Like it's been chromed. Yeah. Um, and I really liked it. Like it, I, I dug it. It's sort of like, 
a little bit of like what I liked about walking a line. Like mm. when I'm, when I was listening to that, I'm like, oh man, if only there were some more harmonies. In this. And then of course you get into the, the chorus. I'm like, ah, there we go. And that's why for me, like, you know, presence of the United States, I think that that band would have done those harmonies a little bit earlier and, and woven them in to me. That was just, I was, I was begging for that in other places, except for the, you know, besides the chorus. Um, Lonely as you to me is like, there's a lot of chunks in there that I'm like, I can trace this back to grunge. I can trace this back to this sounds like it should have been a Nirvana song. Like, is it, was this a leftover, you know, or did Dave have like this, this thing hidden or was it a, a song that didn't quite make a, make an album or whatever. And then it's just kind of polished up. And I'm like, I, I cannot, I can kind of appreciate that and, and mold it into this new thing. Um, probably not at all what the case was with writing the song, but I, I just really, that song kind of surprised me with, with those, those elements all kind of mashed together. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. So now we come to the biggest question of all on a scale of one to five. Would you recommend this album to a friend? One being no recommendation, five being you would give it your highest recommendation. Uh, for me, sir, wasting light. Uh, I'm going to go with a 4.5 on this one. Wow. Going all decimal. What's strong recommendation? Uh, you know, as, as I mentioned at the start, this, this was a, a high energy, uh, fun album. Um, you know, I, I didn't get into some of the other songs like rope or white limo. Um, what's another good one? Uh, I should have known, which had very Tarantino kind of feel to it. Uh, you know, from like a Tarantino movie. Um, mm. yeah, just, just, uh, just top to bottom. I, I just felt there, there's just a lot of really good content on this album. Um, good music, uh, really felt like the band was kind of coming into its own. I mean, this is the fourth album for them or sorry, wasting light, not the fourth album, the seventh album for them. Mm. Um, and so, you know, really reflective of where they were as a band, you know, having the prior six, you know, kind of under their belt and, and really, um, just had, you know, a polish to every song and, and kind of a, a very distinct energy, you know, to each one. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I just really enjoyed it overall. Thought it, you know, for, for a recommendation to someone, I would not be shy about recommending this. I think this exemplifies what is Foo Fighters music and uh and and the energy they bring and the 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 fun and, and joy uh that, that comes from their music and and I just really uh really enjoyed it. So so thank you, sir, for this uh for for picking this and recommending it. Um I, I would wholeheartedly uh put the uh, man they call Tim stamp of approval on this one, four and a half stars, four and a half uh Jimmy Snooka splashes from the top, whatever you want to use your as your rating scale. Uh all I right. All in the bag for this, sir. How about you for one by one? Okay, so a little context for this because I'm I'm gonna give two ratings. Oh, jeez. Uh, two recommendations. Well, no, because here's here's the deal. Um, I'm assuming that with a recommendation, we're not talking about a Foo Fighter fan. Because it, let's face it, you're not recommending it to them because they've already listened to it. I mean, these are these are not, you know, these are not off the beaten track. Like these are full fledged like hit albums for this band. It'd be like recommending, you know, to a Beatles fan, like, oh, have you ever listened to Rubber Soul? Gee, you think? 
Um, so I'm, I'm picturing this as someone like myself who is a casual fan or who might be, you know, aware of the band, but has never really thoroughly listened to them, you know, on an album level. So if I had to recommend to that person, someone similar to myself or a, or a less familiar person with the band, if I had to recommend the full, the, the version of the album that you had me listen to, I'd, I'd give it like three and a half. Really? I, I would not recommend listening to the entire extended version of this album. No. Uh, because like I said, once you get past comeback, I mean, walking a line to me really, okay. That's the one that if, if it's like a CD and there's that hidden track and walking a line is that hidden track, I'm not unhappy. Everything after that though is going to be lost on a more casual fan. It's confusing and it's a letdown after what you've listened to. If you're not familiar with the band, if you're not familiar enough to want to watch the deleted scenes, like you're not that big of a movie that you then want to go back and watch more of the movie that didn't get put into the movie. You know what I mean? If, if I'm recommending this to a casual fan and they just are going to get the normal release, like the initial release that ends at comeback, I'm giving it five. It is uh-huh. a banger of an album. The, the actual album that was released, not the extended version. The actual album as released is a, is a damn fine album and, and plays very well. A to Z. It's when you add that extra stuff in that, again, I'm not saying it's horrible. I'm just saying, like, for me, for me as a fan, like, the, the level of fandom being, a, uh, you know, vaguely familiar with the, the band, not, like, diehard, it's lost on me. And if I'm listening to it beginning to end, I get to that point, and it's just, it kind of ends the whole thing with more of a, eh, rather than a, whoa. So that's, that's the reason I would give it two ratings. I would definitely recommend the initial release uh, to more of a casual fan rather than the the extra stuff all right <laughs> interesting that five so songs just drop it down a whole 1.5 from uh you know from a five to a three and a half that's that's quite a steep drop my friend well again it, I'm, I'm recommending like this as a as an active listening experience like you are going to sit there and you are going to listen sure from beginning to end now you listen to that, you know, to the initial release. Wow. You're going to come away like, damn, like you're going to be panting by the end of comeback. Um, but then you stretch it out more than that. It, it lessens. It lessens it. You know what I mean? All right. It, it, it really less. It's, it's the, it's the opposite of what happened with Picard for you, where the ending with Q all the rest was forgiven and it's and it's a familiar thing in in music like i've i've had sets i've played with a band or songs i've played where you're like man if we can if we start well and we end well maybe they'll forget some of the loose bits in the middle (laughs) you know what i mean maybe like maybe they'll forgive some of those those kind of down moments in the beginning you definitely don't want to end you know slow or low energy though yeah. And that's kind of what it feels like when you add those extra things on. And I'm and if I'm listening if I'm recommending someone to listen from A to Z on this thing, that ain't the way I want their listening experience to end. Ladies and gentlemen, he's just bitter because he had to listen for an hour and 18 minutes. I'm not bitter. I enjoyed <laughs> I'm, I'm it and kidding, I even enjoyed I even enjoyed that extra stuff, but to me it it was just sort of like, huh? Really? Okay. Mm. 
That's all. I enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. And another thing. So what do you got for and another thing this week, sir? Uh, my and another thing, uh, kind of lining up with our our theme of of foolishness um, from the Foo Fighters, uh, actually uh, comes in the form of a Rush interview uh, that happened about a month and a half ago, uh, and so uh, it's uh, so so this interview is uh, it's called Rush Full Interview House of Strombo, uh, the Strombo Show with George. I'll try and pronounce his last name Strombolopoulos. That's a, that's, a, that's a good old good old Irish name right there. Oh yes. Uh, in this exclusive <laughs> conversation, it's about a 40, 45 minute interview in this exclusive conversation, uh, and this is on YouTube, ladies and gentlemen, be in the in the show notes. Uh, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson talk about their eighth studio album, Moving Pictures, uh, the loss of Neil Peart, grieving in public, their new perspective on time, the music industry today, being booed off stage, getting high before rehearsals. Uh, and finally ending with, uh, some thoughts on Taylor Hawkins. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins, huge, uh, huge rush fans, uh, and to, to the point of, uh, they were the inductors of the band, uh, in the rock and roll mm. hall of fame. And, uh, I will have to send uncle Todd the links, but they did a phenomenal speech, uh, to induct them into the hall of fame. Dave Grohl just, hysterical and Taylor Hawkins and, and they actually touch on this in the interview. And and this is what was kind of bittersweet about listening to it at the end like that. Cause they, they it's really not until like the last five or 10 minutes of the interview that they, they talk about Foo Fighters and, and Taylor and his passing uh, was, was just how, how, you know, Getty Lee was talking about just, you know, thinking about him and, and like when they inducted them into the hall of fame, just, how happy he was, you know, how, I mean, Hawkins was bouncing on the stage, like constantly Mm. just bouncing on the stage because he and Grohl were just so amped that their heroes finally landed, you know, with a recognition that they, they very much deserved. And, uh, and, and just, just talking about, you know, just the, the kind of guy he was and, just that, that youthful energy that he brought in, in, into what he did. And so it was just, it was a very, you know, it it was a very interesting perspective to listen to being two guys who they themselves lost their drummer. Um, Mm -hmm. and to now talk about another band who they know look up to them and, and, and who have gotten, and clearly who have gotten to know them to some degree, and just to kind of feel and well, I guess first to hear, but as you're hearing it, you, you can just feel the sadness, you know, from, from both of them on it. And, and, you know, just remembering back to that really joyful time for, for, you know, Dave and Taylor as fans and for, you know, Alex, Neil and Getty as the band being inducted that way was, was just really, really interesting. And I've, I've watched that clip a bunch of times, the, the whole hall of fame induction, you know, as a fan, love it. Um, Alex Lifeson. I mean, if I'll, I'll give, I'll send uncle Todd the, uh, the link to Grohl's speech and the link to what Alex Lifeson does as the acceptance speech, because 
Lifeson does something that I don't know that anyone else could ever pull off <laughs> doing an acceptance <laughs> speech. And it is phenomenal. I mean, literally saying blah, blah for the entire speech was, was what he did. And he pulled it off in such an artistic way. It was hysterical. Um, but, uh, but, but bringing it back to, to the end, another thing, um, this, this interview was interesting. They were talking about moving pictures, um, just different aspects of the album, what the band went through recording it. Uh, and just, you know, as I mentioned, as you know, as I read the summary of it, just uh, touching on a bunch of different topics, just kind of revolving around, you know, just that that album that really established Rush as as a, a full on, you know, pop act and 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 popular, you know, they, that was their they're dipping their toe into the mainstream of music uh, while being for the most part kind of on uh, as they put it on the shore of the mainstream. So, um mm. So I would highly recommend it. It's on YouTube. Uh, it is a great watch. And and to his credit, George uh, Strombolopoulos, uh, phenomenal interviewer. I mean, just, uh, you know, I know this is probably what this guy does. He's probably interviewed a lot of musicians, but just asks a lot of questions. And, and just the just the way he conducts it is it's very much a conversation and not an interview. And And I really like the way he goes about you know, kind of talking to these two, two icons of, of rock, um, you know, and prog rock. So highly recommend it. Do check it out. Rush full interview house of Strombo on the YouTube. And how about you, sir? Very nice. Uh, I'm going to recommend another musical, uh, sort of, uh, tailing off here. Uh, this is an episode of the Tim Ferriss show slash fear less with less being in parentheses, uh, which apparently I think is a, a TV show that Tim Ferriss uh, has produced, or I'm not sure where, uh, when this will be available or what, but it's on YouTube, uh, but you can also get on uh, Tim Ferriss's uh, podcast. And it's his uh, his uh, interview with Tom Morello, guitarist from Rage Against the Machine and uh, Audio Slave and Prophets of Rage. Nice. Um, and very interesting interview. Um because I've, for whatever reason, like Tom Morello has just sort of been like across my, my vision for the past couple of years, every which direction, like, I don't know why, like just kept on popping on, kept popping into my Twitter feed through like people, uh, retweeting or liking his stuff. So eventually I'm like, I might as well follow this guy because, <laughs> because he's here all the time ah. now. Like my gosh. Uh, and then, you know, also just, uh, seeing him like sit in with, like this guy, this guy, and this guy, it was like, it's just, he was everywhere for whatever reason. And kind of, I was never a huge rage against the machine, uh, fan. You know, I appreciated like just the power of their music, like, uh, and, and all that, but never really got into him as a guitarist. And it's interesting hearing him talk about his technique and how he got started and, and his progression through the music biz and, and, just his approach to, um, to music. And it's, it, it's very interesting for me. And I love how he talked about, I mean, here's a guy, he, he's had two formal guitar lessons in his life. And I guess the first one, he's like, all right, so I want to learn this song and this song and this song is like, yeah, well, first we got to learn how to tune. He's like, oh, okay, fine. All right. Well, next, next time they're going to teach me how to play, you know, whatever he's like. So he shows up to the next lesson. He's like, I'll give it, I'll pay my dues for like a week shows up to the next lesson. He's expecting to learn a song. I'm like, all right, so here's the C major scale. He's like, enough of this crap. <laughs> kind of just yeah. went off and learned on his own. Um, and I thought that was so cool. Like just, and, and the way that he kind of developed his technique and, and does and doing things that other guitarists 
don't. And I thought that was just great. It's really cool. Um, and overall, just a great interview. Tim Ferriss is a great interviewer anyways. Uh, I'm imagining a lot like uh, your your buddy there, Strombo, your new best friend. And uh, the just managed to... Yeah, from the Greek. Um, I can't I can't quote any of my big fat Greek wedding off the top of my head. My gosh, I, I failed you <laughs> listeners. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll spray some Windex on something when I get home, though, uh, just for good measure. Uh, but a really great, really great interview and really interesting to to hear him just talk about his attitude towards music and just also his his personal history is is really interesting. So I highly recommend that folks uh, uh, follow the link and listen w- slash watch that. Very interesting. Watch slash listen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we have come to that time. Ah, Yes. Adieu, adieu. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Like I said before, unless you're trapped in a cross-country car ride with somebody who's a rabid free-range idiocy fan, in which case, I'm sorry, there's probably another episode queued up next. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyways, uh, thank you all for tuning in and listening. We do appreciate it. If you have not yet Mm. subscribed to our humble little podcast here on the interwebs, what the hell is wrong with you you got to go to freerangeidc.com and you will find all of our episodes there you can download them as mp3s and all that wonderful stuff or you can subscribe right through the podbean app and you'll get your updates directly through there you can also find us on apple Podcasts. we are on uh iheart radio spotify we are on google Podcasts. a bunch of others that i can never remember off the top of my head uh you can just go ahead for the uh, podcast purveyor of your choice and search for free range idc there is no one else out there claiming to be us. Uh, trust me, uh, there ain't no, there ain't nearly enough money in my bank account for anyone to claim to be me for certain. Um, however, if you do not find us on the podcast purveyor of your choice, what I want you to do is send an email to Tim at freerangeedc.com and he will let me know where we should be posting and I'll see what I can do about hooking that up. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, if you uh, would like to make a suggestion uh, of something that you would like for us to speak about, sure go ahead and egg us on encourage us the thing that our our families are always telling people to not do but you know what you people of the interwebs you can go right on and encourage us because just by listening to us you've done that plenty and our families quite honestly hate you for it but oh well we love you um what you do is you send uh, those to tim at freerangeadc.com and he will get to those forthwith if not sooner uh and just tell you you're suspect you can also find us on the social medias because you know what damn it we love us some us yes oh those sweet likes and follows oh oh i'm tingly just thinking about it uh you can find us on facebook we are on instagram we are on the twitters uh all of those are at free range idc and now ladies and gentlemen we have come to the time my fellow congregants when I finally stop flapping my gums and I hand this thing over to the man they call Tim, as I like to say, the less idiotic of the two idiots on this show, but not before I hey, ask sir. the second most important question ever uttered by humankind. The first, of course, being what is hip? The second being what the hell did we learn this episode? Uh, we've learned the following, my friend. Ah, uh, Good. Uh, we have learned uh, that Uncle Todd uh, declares Picard season three as suspect. Until until proven otherwise, until you damn skippy. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Forthwith, here with all, and race ips a loquitur. Yes. Uh, we've also learned uh, Uncle Todd, not a fan of Roger Goodell. 
not a fan. Really? That did that come through? I think so. Uh, we Good. we also learned through his rantings and ravings, uh, Mark Davis' haircut is also suspect. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is going on with that thing? Like seriously. Uh, does he have a floby? Because that's what it looks like. It really does. Seems like it. Uh, we also learned uh, Uncle Todd uh, opened a living in Robert Rodriguez's garage. So there's that. Hey, it, it's a nice garage, dude. Seriously, you got to go look up some photos of it. It's a nice garage. <laughs> uh, we've learned the man they call Tim. Uh, definitely a fan of the long tail of, of Foo Fighters. And uh, Uncle Todd? Not so much. Not so much. That's okay. See, here you are trying to make it sound like I've, I've like, taken them to task. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> I gave them a recommendation of five. And here you are, uh, like, I just pissed all over them. <laughs> Good Lord, I'm... I don't, I don't need, like, Dave Grohl showing up in my house with a fresh pot of coffee wired off, off of his mind. Like, what'd you say about me on the internet? Ah! You know? <laughs> Although, uh, admittedly, even if even as I was getting punched in the face, I'd be like, this is so cool! You're Dave Grohl! Ah! Oh, can you sign this for me? Uh, oh. Well, I'm thinking if, if he ends up showing up at the office, you, you always hit Patrick as the punching bag. Very true. He would be oh, a good gosh. human shield. <laughs> uh, we've also learned uh, Kenobi is is solid and not suspect. Uh, and finally, I'll throw a little personal one in here. A uh, little, uh, nothing we've learned, but just a little happy birthday to my mama. It is her birthday today, so I'll just say oh. happy birthday to her. With that all being said, thank you once again, ladies and gentlemen, as I echo Uncle Todd's salutations and uh, benediction. And uh, finally, as we like to close things out, be safe, be healthy, be kind, be good to one another. And well, because it's foo if you do, please, would you hit the lights on the way out? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon, what did you say? Damn! <laughs> You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. I didn't know you was back in town. That idea is just the worst. Do it. Just a, that's it. How the hell are you? Wyatt, I am rolling. That's what I love about Wyatt. He can talk himself into anything. <laughs> Get out. And don't come back. Until you've redeemed yourselves. Patrick, come here. Come here. What's the deal with a candle in the bathroom? <laughs> I think that's self-explanatory, especially after the Chipotle. <laughs> First of all, we ain't supposed to have candles, okay? Now, I'll let that go. Problem is, why'd you put a citronella candle in the bathroom? Oh, good Lord. Did he really? You like the smell? Really? <laughs> you like you like uh, the smell of like deep woods off? Well, Uncle Todd, at least the bathroom won't have any mosquitoes flying around. <laughs> no, but I, no, you can't put that stuff in the. It's not supposed to be indoors. Like I'm pretty sure that's toxic. You fell asleep in there earlier. <laughs> How long? I'm pretty sure you you were asphyxiating. You might want to go get checked out.
it was what color? You definitely need to go get checked out. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, no, it's not supposed to be that color. Not like any shade of that. It's not it's like totally. Oh, my God. I, I got to go take Patrick to quick care because uh, I think so. I think something's about to fall off the man. So uh, <laughs> now get the hell out of here.